Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. for teens. For those of you who might not know, I'm Bia, and Cardiac Radio for Teens is a place where teens can come together with other teens to learn about spiritist teachings and topics in a way that makes more sense to us in today's society. Because sometimes the wording or the way adults explain it, or people with more experience than us, it's hard for it's harder for us to understand because we don't have those same experiences. But hopefully, together as teens, we'll be able to unite our knowledge and learn together. For over a year now, we've been reading through the Spirits book together, word by word, question by question, going through all of it to make sure we fully understand it. And not just reading it, but trying to really understand it and know the meaning behind it instead of just reading really quickly over the words. So last week, we ended off on a part about the joining of the soul with the body and also about abortion. So that's what we talked about last week. So if that topic interests you and you missed last week's, I highly suggest that you go back and listen to it. But this week, we're still in the same chapter, which we're talking about the return to corporeal life. So we talked a lot about disincarnating and going back to the spirit world, but now we're talking about reincarnating, about coming back. And so... Still in the same chapter, but a different section, we're going to be talking today about the moral and intellectual faculties of humankind. So let's get right to it. Question 361. Where do a person's good or evil moral qualities come from? So a person, like a human with the material body that we know, where does their moral qualities come from? And the spirits answered, They reflect the qualities of the incarnate spirit. The purer the spirit, the more the person is inclined towards the good. So how the person is, the physical body that we're talking about, incarnated, like on, let's say, earth, because that's the most, the, that's the example we can relate to the most, on earth. So this human on earth, where do the qualities come from? It comes from the spirit that's incarnated. And the more evolved the spirit is, the more evolved that person will be. And then there's a second part to this question, and it says, So a moral person is the incarnation of a good spirit, and a cruel person that of an evil spirit? So they're saying, a good person is a good, is a good spirit, and a cruel person is an evil spirit. And the spirit said, yes, but it would be better to say an imperfect spirit. Otherwise, one might believe in spirits who always remain evil, those you call demons. So they said, yes, basically it is that concept that the people who are very good, that's because they're very good spirits. And the people who are not so good, it's because they're not so good spirits. But instead of saying 
they're cruel or evil or using harsh words like that, they, the Spirit said that we should use the word imperfect. Because when you say evil, it makes it seem like that person's going to be evil forever. But these spirit, the, the spirits aren't going to be evil forever. They're going to grow and they're going to learn and they're going to evolve more. So we shouldn't say evil. We should use the word imperfect. Question 362. What is the character of the individuals in whom frivolous and foolish spirits are incarnated? So they're talking about frivolous and foolish spirits. So what do these people on earth look like of these spirits? And the spirits answered, they are thoughtless, cunning, and sometimes malicious beings. So spirits, so the, the spirits who are foolish and frivolous, like they like to pull little jokes on people. They're not trying to be super mean, but they, they like to pull jokes on people and kind of be a little mean. And these, these spirits, when incarnated, the type of people they're going to be is, they're like the spirit said, they're going to be thoughtless. They're going to cunning and sometimes malicious. Sometimes they're going to do bad things. Question 363. Do spirits possess any passions that do not belong to humankind? So do the spirits have anything that isn't really portrayed in that in humankind, like pass passions? And the spirit said, no. Otherwise, they would have passed them on to you. So all the passions that the spirit has, they pass on to, to the human. So the spirit wouldn't ha doesn't have any secret passions. Everything that the spirit has comes out in the, in the human. Question 364. Is it one and the same spirit who gives an individual his or her moral and intellectual qualities? So is it the same spirit that gives the moral qualities and also the intellectual qualities? And the spirits answered, Certainly it is one and the same, and such qualities will depend on the degree of the spirit's evolution. Individuals do not have two spirits within them. So yes, they're saying certainly, of course, it's the same spirit. So the same spirit where you get your moral qualities from or is the same spirit that you get your intellectual qualities from. And again, like they've said so many times throughout this book, is that it depends on the evolution of the spirit. If the, if the spirit is more evolved, they're going to have better moral qualities, and they're going to have more intellectual qualities. And if they're less evolved, they're going to have less moral and intellectual qualities. So it really depends on the evolution of each spirit. But it is one spirit only. There's not two spirits for one human. Question 365. Why are the most intelligent individuals who display a highly evolved spirit incarnated in them sometimes and at the same time extremely cruel? So now they're talking about sometimes there's people that are really smart and you think, wow, these people are so evolved. They're so smart. They're on another level but they do bad things. So why does that happen? And the spirit says, it is because the incarnate spirit is not sufficiently purified. So just because they're intelligent doesn't mean that they're purified. It doesn't mean that they, their moral qualities are up. Maybe 
they've worked really hard on their intellectual qualities, but their moral qualities are still lacking. And then the spirits continued. Also, because the person yields to the influence of other spirits who are even worse. A spirit progresses in an imperceptible ascending forward progression, but this progress is not accomplished simultaneously in all senses. During one period, a spirit may advance in knowledge during another immorality. So they're saying that we're looking at a spirit evolving, kind of like going up a stairs, a staircase. So you're just going up and up and up and you kind of see it all even, but it doesn't happen like that. You don't progress. You're at one step. Okay. Now you moved on to the next step. Maybe for a few lives, you work on your intellectual qualities. Then in the next few, you work on moral qualities and back and forth and other qualities. So maybe that person worked in their intellectual qualities and they've, they're more evolved in that perspective, but their moral qualities, they're still trying to raise and they're not quite there yet. Question 366. What about the opinion according to which the various moral and intellectual qualities of humans are the products of many different spirits incarnated in them, such possessing a special aptitude? So basically, they're asking here, what do you think? They're asking the spirits, what do you think about people who think that it's many spirits incarnated in them that are giving the human special qualities? And the spirit said, if you reflect on it, you will realize how absurd that is. So they're saying that's a crazy idea that it's more than one spirit. A spirit must possess all aptitudes. And in order to progress, it needs a unified will. If a person were a collection of spirits, this unified will would not exist. So they're saying here is that the, the spirit, this will, it has to all connect together. It has to all be one thing. Think about even you and your best friend. Still, there's some things that are different that don't fit perfectly together. So you can't just put a whole bunch of different spirits together and expect it to just form one big group. And then they continue. He or she would possess no individuality because at death, all those spirits would be like a flock of birds escaping from a cage. People often complain that they do not understand certain things, but it is interesting to notice how they multiply their problems when they have very simple and natural explanations right there in their own hands. So here they're saying that sometimes people, people are trying to come up with things, even though there's a easy answer. Like right here, we're saying how, okay, each human has one spirit, but some people, they're trying to look for a bigger answer and they go inventing harder concepts to believe in. And then the spirits continued. This notion is another example of taking the effect for the cause. It attributes to the human being what the pagans attributed to God. They believe in as many gods as there were phenomena in the universe. However, even among the sensible person saw nothing more in those phenomena than the effect having a cause, having as their cause a sole god. So here they're just saying how sometimes people, people are confused and they're looking for such a hard answer when there's a straightforward answer. Like 
these people. They were looking for many different types of God, but then where were those gods from? So then it kind of all goes back to one God anyway. So really they're, they're trying to deviate and look for some incredible answer and complicated, but it might just be straightforward in front of them, like one human, one spirit, and that's it. Then Alan Kardec put his own comment in and he says, the physical and moral realms both offer us numerous points of comparison in this respect. Humankind believed in the multiplicity of matter as long as examining it was confined to the appearance of phenomena. Nowadays, we understand that such varied phenomena might very well be no more than modifications of a single elementary matter. The various qualities and faculties are manifestations of the same cause, which is the soul or incarnate spirit, and not several souls, like the different sounds of an organ are the result of the same kind of air, and not as many types of air as there are sounds. So they're saying how it all comes back to one thing. The theory in question would mean that when a person loses or acquires certain aptitudes or tendencies, it indicates that certain spirits had left the person or that others had arrived, which would make him or her into a multiple being without individuality and consequently without responsibility. This theory, moreover, is contradicted by the numerous examples of manifestations in which spirits prove their personality and their identity. So what they're saying here is that if a spirit, say, Say you had, say for the one human being, you had multiple spirits. So you wouldn't have individuality because think of, think of who you are now and all your character traits. That's reflecting from your spirit. So what if your spirit changed every two years, every year? So you have this personality right now and then in a year you change to another personality. And also that spirit wouldn't be very responsible because what's the point? If they can, if they're only going to be in this body for a year, they don't have to worry about the consequences of the future. They're just going to go like, okay, I'm just going to do my year, do whatever I want, and then pass it on to the next person. So there wouldn't be this individuality and responsibility that we need. So that's one big point that they're saying that how could that be possible? How, how would that work to have multiple spirits? So they're saying it is just one spirit so that that spirit has its own responsibilities and its own individuality. Now we're on to the next part, which is titled, The Influ Influence of the Organism. Question 367. Upon joining the body, does the spirit identify itself with matter? And the spirits answered, Matter is no more than the spirit's envelope, as clothing is the body's envelope. Upon joining the body, a spirit preserves the attributes of its spirit nature. So when joining the body, the spirit with the matter, it kind of just feels like it's putting on clothes. Just like for our body, we put on clothes to kind of envelope us. The spirit is putting on this human body to be its clothes. Question 368. Does a spirit exercise its faculties with full liberty after its union with a body? So does it have all its full faculties 
in full liberty and freedom after it unites with a body? And the spirit said, The exercise of its faculties depends on the organs serving as their instruments. They are weakened by the density of matter. So because of the density of, our, of the matter and some planets less evolved, they might have even denser matter than we know on Earth, then the faculties of the spirit are weakened. And then there's a second part to this question, and it says, Then accordingly, would the material envelope be an obstacle to the free manifestation of the spirit's faculty? Like an opaque glass is an obstacle to the free emission of light? So they're saying, so basically, is this material envelope, this human body, is it kind of an obstacle for the spirit to get through? And the spirit said, yes, and exceedingly opaque. So what they're saying about an opaque glass is like, it's kind of a foggy glass that you can't see completely through. It's supposed to be clear, but it's kind of foggy and you can't see through. So they're talking about the light going through this foggy glass. So they say, yeah, it's kind of like that. So this, so the spirit, it's inside of this glass and it's all foggy and it's trying to get the light through but it doesn't it's not just shooting straight through it's stuck in this fog which is what they're saying here and then alan kardec put his own comment in and he says one may further compare the action of the body's matter upon a spirit to that of sludgy water which hinders the free movement of an object immersed in it so they're saying so water Maybe if you ever go to water where there's a lot of seaweed in it, it's harder to move than just moving in free water. Or even sometimes if we try walking, if you try walking in water, it's harder than just walking on land. So it's like that. It's, it's kind of holding you back from the free motion that you're used to. Question 369. Is the free exercise of the soul's faculties subordinate to the development of the bodily organs? The spirits answered, the organs are the instruments for the manifestation of the soul's faculties. This manifestation depends on the degree of respective organs development, such as the excellence of a piece of work depends on the excellence of the tool. So they're asking here, so does how the soul exercises its faculties how it uses it. Does that develop, does that depend also on the organs in the body? And they said, the organs is the instrument to manifest. So maybe like we need our voice to speak and we need our eyes to see and we need our heart, of course, to pump our blood. So depending on how good our organs are, it's going to affect how, how easily the soul is able to exercise all of these faculties. Question 370. Could one infer from the influence of the organ a connection between the development of the cerebral structure and the moral and intellectual faculties? So they're saying, is there a connection between cerebral, so they're talking about like our brain, the structure of the brain and the moral and intellectual faculties, is there like a connection? And the spirit said, do not confuse the effect with the cause. The spirit always possesses the faculties that are pro 
proper for it. Thus, it is not the organ that gives it its faculties, but rather the faculties that stimulate, stimulates the development of the organs. So it's not because, oh, you have a good brain structure, so you're going to be smart. It's the spirit who's coming into this body, and the spirit has these qualities. The spirit has the intelligence, has the moral qualities, so they're going to say, okay, where your brain is going to be structured like this so that it fits for the intellectual, that the intelligence that the spirit already is bringing. So we shouldn't confuse that order. And the spirits, and then there was a second part to this question, and it says, According to this view, does the diversity of aptitudes among individuals stem solely from the conditions of their spirit? And the spirits answered, Solely is not the exact term. The qualities of the spirit, who may be more advanced or less so, are the basis for this diversity. However, we must take into account the influence of matter because it hinders to a greater or lesser degree the exercising of these faculties. So the question was saying, so basically, what the spirit, what the human can do basically depends on the spirit and how the spirit is of how evolved the spirit is and they said well not only we can't use the word solely those were like meaning only but the qualities of the spirit that is what's coming out in the human so more or less so it is it's however the spirit is however the soul is that's what how the human is going to reflect is going to reflect that and then alan kardec put his own comment in and he says when the spirit incarnates it brings certain predispositions with it. And if we accept the idea that there is a corresponding area in the brain for each one of them, then the development of these areas will be seen as an effect and not a cause. If the faculties had their origins in the organs themselves, humans would be machines without free will and without any responsibility for their actions. We would have to accept the fact that the greatest geniuses, scientists, poets, artists, owe their talents to chance, which has given them a special brain structure. So what they're saying here is that we can't believe that, oh, you're just smart because you were born with a good brain. You were born with a good brain structure or you weren't born with a good brain structure and that's going to depend the rest, that's going to define the rest of your life. And then he continues. Consequently, without this structure, they would not be geniuses. The least simpleton could have been a Newton, a Virgil, or a Raphael, if he had, if he had been provided with a certain brain structure. This assumption becomes even more absurd when applied to moral qualities. Thus, according to this theory, if St. Vincent de Paul had been gifted by nature with a particular brain structure, he might have been a scoundrel. Whereas, greatest scoundrels would only lack a certain brain structure in order to become someone like St. Vincent de Paul. On the other hand, if we accept the, the idea that such special structures, if they exist, are effects developed by exercising the faculties, like the muscles by moving them, then nothing seems unreasonable. 
Let us make this trivial comparison, albeit a truthful one. By certain facial traits, you recognize that a person is addicted to alcohol. Do these traits make the person an alcoholic, or is it alcoholism that produces the traits? Therefore, one may safely state that the organs receive the inference of the faculties. So, that, that was a really long explanation on his part, but it makes a lot of sense and it gives us some examples. So, to show us that, it's the spirit and the spirit's faculties and who the spirit is and how evolved they are, that's imprinting on the human, that's reflecting on the human, not the other way around. And that's the really important part that we should keep in mind with all of this is that, like they're saying here, so that first, one really important thing that we that we came across was that it's only one spirit for one body, for one being. And that we, it's the spirit that's reflecting through this body. The intellectual qualities, the moral qualities, the good and the bad, it's all coming from the spirit and who the spirit is and the qualities that the spirit has and how evolved the spirit is. That's what we'll leave off today. And next week, we'll start off on the next part, which is called Mental Impairments and Insanity. And we'll go into that next week. But before we leave off today, I'd like to read our message from the Daily Book of Positive Quotations for today's date, August 8th. Love within reach. When we cannot get what we love, we must love what is, in, what is within our reach. Learn to love what we have. Rather, what we would like to have is not a matter of giving up or compromising. It's a matter of maturing. We set our goals high, and we should. We work diligently towards our goals, and we should. But if we don't realize all of our goals, sh should we live our lives with bitterness and regret? How much richer would our lives be if we, have, if we could appreciate the blessings that we already have? I will love my life for what it is, rather than regretting it for what it is not. I'm Bia, and this is Cardiac Greater for Teens. Thank you all for listening. Obsession. A true story, the unfolding of a very complex process of obsession, with its main roots planted deep in the mysterious soil of past incarnations, with many implications projected into the future of those involved. Dear friends, we are happy to be here once again with you to nourish our souls with lessons that you and I are going to take to immortality. It's wonderful to have the opportunity to study the book Obsession together because we are reminded even during our physical and temporary experience that there is a greater world, the real world, the spiritual realm 
which interacts with us on a daily basis and as Kardec has demonstrated already in the Spirit's book, on a constant basis, whether we are aware of it or not. So we are very grateful to the Spirit Manuel Filomeno de Miranda and the loving Spirit of Dr. Bezerra de Menezes for bringing us this renewed awareness that we are in constant interaction with the spirit friends who are already free from the physical body. As a matter of fact, they are in much greater number than we who live in the physical body are. So in reality, we live in the world of the spirits, the spirits who are already free from the physical experience. So in this new chapter, chapter 4, entitled Ruthless Cruelty, we see in very much detail how a spirit that is connected to the Santa Maria family from the present and previous incarnation influences their daughter, Esther. And throughout the chapter, here are questions that we can take into consideration. How is it possible that a spirit entity influences someone who is incarnated so closely and so intensively? Is there divine justice behind it? Where is God in the mix of such strong process of spiritual influence? How do we find God in the mix of such uh, a relationship with the spiritual realm that in this case in particular seems to be very negative? How do we find God's love in the mix of such apparent and endless negativity? And speaking of finding God, as we meditate about these questions, which are very important to all of us, we would like to ask Mark to open our study of tonight by saying a prayer from his heart to all of our hearts. Dear God, thank you for the blessed gift of this time to reflect upon our lives and our connections with the spirit realm. As we begin this journey of understanding and self-awareness, may we pray now for all those who are influenced by the spiritual world in a way which may be keeping them from being able to live their life and being able to be connected emotionally and physically to others. May we bless them right now and bless those spirits who are connected to them, helping both those spirits and those who are obsessed by them with the recognition that they are children of God and that there is divine mercy behind all events and all actions. May right now we thank God for his continued love and his continued presence in our lives. And let's now bless all those who are under obsession with the love that they deserve and guide them towards understanding the beautiful power of God's love. And so be it. Let us now enjoy the reading of chapter 4.
Chapter 4 Ruthless Cruelty When the spirit possessor is a wicked one, things are different. He does not take the body of the incarnate person gradually. He takes it over violently if the person does not possess enough moral strength to resist him. The spirit does so, led by a deliberate wickedness to torture and torment his victim in every possible way, even to the point of trying to kill him by choking him or throwing him into an open fire or into dangerous places. Controlling the organs and limbs of the unfortunate person he blasphemes, affronts, and abuses around, he performs eccentricities and acts with every symptom of full madness. Genesis chapter 14, item 48. Many months went by without the least sign that Esther would recover sanity. Her light blue eyes, formerly bright and alive, now flashed a wild look. Her face was ashen and lifeless, lacking the frame of her beautiful hair, which had been given a crew cut. She was a living ghost, driven by a vicious and unknown will. Madness was her usual condition now. The employees hired by the hospital to care for the patients acted as if they were there to fight wild beasts, not to help human beings like themselves. Consequently, they usually acted like animals themselves, beating the more violent patients savagely. Left to the whims of such unscrupulous servants, Esther suffered mistreatment of all kinds. Since she often became very aggressive, they beat her cruelly, meaning to calm her down. This only aggravated her physical condition. Dark spots all over her body and a few broken teeth bore witness to the ruthless treatment she was being given. The doctors had pronounced her incurable. As such, and also because she was particularly troublesome, they neglected her deliberately. No visits from her family were allowed in view of the impossibility of a normal dialogue. Strangely enough, her condition seemed to be exacerbated by any conversation especially when reference was made to her father. In many similar hospitals, professional and human dignity have long been forgotten. Whenever ethics are absent, love, compassion, duty, and charity are likewise ignored. Patients are kept there for only for the income they bring in. When some of them are released, apparently calm because half-subdued by drugs, it is known that they will soon come back, hopelessly chained to a vicious cycle, in and out, out and in. Families are exploited, spending their money for virtually nothing since there is little to no preoccupation on the part of the hospital board to strive for positive results. But those who profit from such commercialization of the health and life of their fellow men will return to the earth plane one day to pay for their heartless greed. And frequently they will come to the very same place where they once indifferently watched others suffer. Love, however, is the essential component of any therapy and of vital importance in any circumstance. It often succeeds where drugs fail because it helps to reveal the invisible causes and consequences involved. Absorbed by materialism, the scientist rarely looks for divine inspiration when dealing with a difficult case. Words like God, prayer, and such are never found in medical textbooks. But divine love sees to everything. When the shadows seem to get darker and hope like a flickering candle is slowly waning, a beam of the divine light shows a new way. This happened to Esther when a young assistant nurse came to work at the hospital. Rosangela, her name was. 
On her first routine rounds of the hospital wards, she saw Esther in a straitjacket, delirious as usual. The good nurse was immediately attracted to the young patient and mentally listed her as one needing special attention. She had heard of a new drug called Serpicil, extracted from an Indian herb, the Rofolia serpentine. It was being used as a tranquilizer with excellent results. Rosangela had been greatly interested in the discussion of the drug's effects. Everything considered, she saw Esther as a possible patient on whom to try the new medicine. Meanwhile, poor Esther, lost in herself, wandered aimlessly through the long, dark alleys of madness, a prisoner of untold agonies. By then, she had lost total control of her mind, which began to show the first signs of imbalance as a consequence of the prolonged influence of the unwholesome fluids issued by the evil spirit that subjugated her. Esther herself could not understand what her trouble had been that evening. She had felt an extreme anguish followed by a cold sweat and the sensation of having been thrown down over a cliff, and then she kept falling, falling endlessly, never reaching the bottom. She felt as if her heart had been displaced and was beating irregularly. Her body ached down to every little cell, and her head felt as if in the center of a whirl, spinning constantly, making her unable to coordinate her ideas. If she cried for help, her vocal cords would not obey her command. Instead, shocking, foul words came out of her mouth against her will. In her confusion, she sometimes heard her own voice at a distance, as if separated from herself. It sounded strangely different. She experienced a hate she did not feel. She cried desperately, but her tears seemed to evaporate from her dilated pupils. She was constantly feverish, shaking all over in fits of madness. She had once seen herself clearly out of her body. From such a position, she had been able to watch it convulsing uncontrollably. In that confusing state, feeling like a double, she had not noticed her guests, greatly shocked at the sight of her strange transformation at her coming out party. From that awful moment on, she could remember nothing else except the continuous struggle against the giant who dominated her. In fact, through the influence of the obsessing entity, Esther's astral body had been forced out of her earth body, although she kept herself connected to it through the silver cord. Such an unusual position confused and disturbed her greatly. Sometimes she would see her frightening and furious obsessor grimacing insanely. Whenever he started beating her, she tried to get back into her physical body, like someone struggling to wake out of a nightmare. Prevented from it by the entity, the agony was then renewed. Ideas alien to her thinking found their way into her mind and settled there arbitrarily. Blocked by this strange invasion, her own thoughts were suppressed. Her feelings and emotions were tossed and torn while the weird battle raged in her inner self. A frightful growing terror possessed her, and she saw no way to escape, no positive help coming. When submitted to electric shock treatment, one could imagine the convulsive agony, her body writhing in pain, her mind fading into unconsciousness. When it was over and she returned to the warmness of the physical body, she would face her tormentor again, loathsome and demanding. Frightened, she would then flee from her body, surrendering it again to the obsessor's command. As she grew physically weaker, she fell into a state of successive faints, which expelled her spirit form from her physical body. Such a condition left her in a somewhat constant astral projection. 
In this position, she saw her obsessor face to face. He would then threaten her coarsely and drag her to places where dwelt hideous, inferior spirit forms. In those low astral regions, no light shone, and a suffocating miasma filled the air. It was a place that looked like a gruesome cemetery with open tombs scattered about. There, living dead human forms moved about. Some tried desperately to reanimate their dead bodies. Others wailed for their lost physical forms. Some, in terror, fought horrible animal-like forms which wanted to get a hold of their decaying flesh. Others still moaned and whimpered, all forming an endless mournful procession. Was it hell, she wondered? Ashamed of the sickening sight, Esther would either lose consciousness or tune in with the environment and become as wild and delirious as those around her. Later she wakened to find herself back in her battered physical body. Then she would have a short pause in merciful oblivion, and the struggle would begin anew, around and inside her flagging soul. Sometimes she asked herself what had happened to her loving parents who had not come to rescue her. In vain she cried to exhaustion, but mocking laughter and obscene aggression from grotesque and deformed faces around her were the only answers. Once she tried to pray, but in the whirling mist of her inner confusion, she could not coordinate her thoughts. At times her mind wandered back to what seemed now distant memories of family, teachers, and friends who had once loved her. You're dead, or almost, said the obsessor. Soon I will take my revenge. I'll crush the life out of you to punish your father. You shall die as I have died, so that he may also die. I'm just waiting for him. My God, she exclaimed, I must be delirious. I'm young, I want to live. Sweet Virgin Mary, set me free. They make me mad, I'm innocent. And still, here I am, suffering in the depths of hell. Sure, you're innocent, he continued, at least as far as I'm personally concerned. But I hate you because I hate your father. I have to destroy you, so I must destroy him. I'll dominate you so I can submit him. Who are you? she asked. Are you a destructive demon? Have pity on me. I'm only a child. I'm the demon of justice, not the angel of compassion, he retorted scornfully. Let's stop the silly talk and let's fight again. Applauses were heard from an invisible audience, and tumult was on again, and the battle also, fierce, dreadful, ruthless. And yet she was innocent, but only in her present incarnation. As an eternal spirit individuality, she had her debts to the law, and because of them, the indebted incarnate spirit, now carrying the physical form of a young girl, again experienced racking moral pain. Esther's parents had given her a careful education. They had guided her and helped her grow into a beauty, but they had forgotten to prepare her for spiritual realities. Roman Catholicism, in which she had been constructed, encumbered by many rules and extravagant rituals, has long gone astray from true Christianity, thus becoming incapable of helping to develop the spirit gifts latent in every human being. Revelation has been banished from its tenets. The clergy think themselves empowered to grant heavens or give out chunks of paradise by the mere uttering of meaningless words and the performance of useless rituals. Nowadays, many parents develop a curiously complacent attitude. 
they consider that no reference to an afterlife should be made to their children, assuming that they are still too young for such elevating ideals. But on the other hand, they concede that the wild expressions of a stormy manhood or a carefree womanhood should be stimulated, considering it is proper to the growing process. Those emotions, however, without the control of a balanced personality, are very poor substitutes for love and are very likely to be transformed into outlets for primitive sex impulses. Because modern parents tend to consider their children as too young to confront the perennial message of surviving spirituality, they do not prepare them for a dignified maturity and a happy old age. What incredibly enriching chapter for the soul, dear friends. We are grateful to the spirit of Manuel Filomeno de Miranda for showing us that those whom we call obsessors are but spirits who are undergoing learning experiences just like us. They, as we have seen throughout the chapter, are experiencing great pain and the reason why they turn to the venues or avenues of obsession is because they don't know how to deal with that pain in any other way. So before we point fingers, before we accuse, before we see Esther or ourselves as victims, let us meditate upon the fact that the spirits are deserving of our understanding of our mercifulness, of our compassion, because they are only acting in such a manner because they don't know what we know. They don't know that the possibility of forgiveness is possible. They don't know that by freeing others, they free themselves. They don't recognize yet, dear friends, that they are beautiful children of God and that our very Master, Christ Jesus, is waiting for them with open arms. They don't see themselves as deserving of divine love and divine mercy and divine compassion. So let us, throughout our reflection of this chapter, send them mentally together as a universal family, vibrations of love and gratitude. And let us always remind our spirit friends whom we label sometimes as obsessors that they too are children of God. And if we have hurt them in the past, it's because like Esther and like the Santa Maria's, we didn't know what we were doing. We were ignorant of the spiritual truths. Therefore, we acted as blind spirits. And the blind can only lead the blind, which leads to even more blindness. So now that we were given the light of the spiritist understanding, Let us extend this beautiful, never-ending light to the friends who accompany us and watch us on from the spiritual realm. Let us think of them with kindness, with love, with understanding, with a feeling of brotherhood and sisterhood, extending to them the universal family feeling and reality 
that we wish for ourselves. As we have learned through the words of the Spirit, Manuel Filomeno de Miranda, nothing happens by chance. Do you remember, dear friends, in the beginning of this study tonight, when we asked, where is divine justice in all of this? And where is divine love? These are questions that Esther herself has asked. And the answer is very simple. Divine justice and divine love walk hand in hand together. There is no justice without love. And there is no love without merciful justice. So where is it? It is in a previous existence. We learn that though Esther is young and innocent in this lifetime, as an immortal individuality, she had debts that her consciousness, not God, asked her to respond to. So the whole process of obsession that she is undergoing her connection to this spirit is not a punishment, but rather an opportunity for Esther, as an immortal soul like each and every one of us, to take responsibility, to respond for her actions. And so this is a blessing from God, and this is where divine justice walks hand in hand in symbiosis with divine love, because God trusts our divine nature so much that He and His kindness allows for us to have many opportunities to respond to our own consciousness. Could we respond differently? Yes, we could, but at times pain is necessary to awaken us to the reality that we are not here on the earth on holiday to have fun or to cultivate material wellness. We are here first and foremost to awaken ourselves to our own spiritual realities and journeys as immortal souls. So the pain here, dear friends, is being used as an awakening mechanism because, as the spirit Manuel Filomeno de Miranda points out, our dear Esther did not receive any education from a spiritual nature. She learned how to follow rituals. She learned how to automatically connect to God without much feeling. So she now is learning to go deeper. Pain is awakening her to develop a deeper connection with God. We are not at all criticizing any other forms of Christian practice. Christian practice is valid in whatever form it takes shape. What we are saying is, as we practice connecting to God, do we have the courage to connect not only automatically, but also consciously through the heart and through the mind? Are we able to do that?
This is why our dear Esther is experiencing this pain. From an immortal perspective, God is trusting her with this pain in order to awaken her to a deeper understanding of her divine nature. Yes, and uh, I also think there's, um, just to add on to what Carol's saying, I also think this chapter teaches us something important about parenting and specifically about the fact that a lot of parents, as, as the spirit author says, a lot of parents neglect the uh, spiritual, spiritual nature of their, of their children, the immortal spirit that lies within. And they may be afraid, as the spirit author talks about there, to talk about the afterlife, to talk about the, the immortal nature of their lives. And, and the spirit author is making, in no uncertain terms, that's a big mistake. We need to prepare our children for the strength of their moral life. We need to prepare them for the fact that they're immortal spirits. We need to think about the fact that they are in this world for a reason, that they're here for the opportunities that God has given them to develop uh, an understanding of themselves as compassionate, loving people who are desire, desiring not just material things, in fact, far from it, instead desiring to love and to serve. And so here we see really the importance of that that you can have the best education in the world. You can be living on the country club, so to speak, you know, having the, the jet set life, as they used to say, you know, going from town to town, uh, city to city, continent to continent every weekend. But if you don't have that spiritual education, you might wake up in pain one day. So divine justice will at some point arrive, maybe not early in your life, maybe later in your life. But in this particular case, what's so important to realize is that in a way we can think about Esther's pain right now as a blessing because it's helping potentially. We'll see as we go on through the book, Esther and her family begin to wake to these uh, bigger realities of life. So with that being said, Carol, would you like to add anything else to yes, our discussion? as we undergo new phases in our lives, especially as young adults, as we make decisions that will shape our present and future. Let us remember that God is available to us and that we are entitled as children of God to cherish this loving connection. This loving connection, as the spirit author points out to us, is latent in all of us. None of us is deprived from this one and only unique connection as we are heirs of our divine father and mother God. So let us remember as we awaken each day to cherish this connection because the idea that we should grow into a carefree type of womanhood or as a stormy or in a stormy manhood where we do whatever we want however we want whenever we want is likely to bring us to very challenging situations where we act like 
Likewise, our animal companions, as the spirit author points out, we end up finding only primitive outlets for our impulses, including our sexual impulses. And our sexual impulses, dear friends, are a gift from the Creator. They are creative sources of force that allow us to materialize our most beautiful inspirations on this earth. So let us cherish this energy within us in a divine, loving, respectful, and dignified way by going beyond the impulses that are animal-like and by remembering that this too is a tool of divine manifestation on the earth. So before we attune ourselves with the carefree expressions of womanhood and manhood, let us remind ourselves that we are immortal spirits in nature and that we are entitled to act with dignity, with respect, with compassion and love for ourselves and for others. Yes, that point you're making about sexual impulses being, in a way, uh, in service of love and service towards others is so important to realize. And I think it's that is actually probably one of the biggest messages that we can we can learn from this book about the responsibility that all of us have once we go into puberty, once we develop those sexual impulses, is to use them for the service of the good, for love, for uh, connecting us to higher spirituality, and not just being using that as something that connects us only to lower passions and, and so forth. We are here to not give in to the lower passions, as Mark is saying, but rather to literally place mind or spirit over matter. This is what the school of life is for. And because Esther was not given this type of awareness, the gift of this type of education, she is yeah. now in great pain. Yeah, and so, she wasn't even someone who we might imagine, you know, she committed a lot of sexual sins. In fact, she's described in the book as being innocent. And yet that's still dangerous. So in a way, we need to realize that it's important to educate ourselves. It's important to be aware of this, right? Even if we, we, we th we're, not, we're not separated from the lessons to learn here, right? Right. And we are responsible for making use of all the talents God has given to us in a conscious, responsible, and dignifying way. So please, dear friends, let us respect our spiritual and physical gifts by thinking carefully about how each and every one of us are putting them to use, reminding ourselves that we are love, we are light, and we are joy of living. Let us end our study tonight by giving graces to God for the gift of our physical and spiritual bodies, for the gift of this beautiful reincarnation, for the gift of all the talents God has placed within the realms of our hearts, 
for the gift of all of our sentiments and impulses, for the gift of learning how to find within our impulses and sentiments, thoughts and feelings, the divine nature within. And let us practice for this week, constantly reminding ourselves that we are beautiful children of God, immortal spirits that were born on this earth again and again to learn, to love, and to serve. So be it. And until we meet again, we wish you many beautiful loving blessings. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 